Accreditation is a status that's earned, not given. Our featured BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders for this episode are Learning Ally, Muscular Dystrophy Association, National Parks Conservation Association. To find out more about these and other BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders, go to give.org. You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by bbbgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. This is the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked-about charities. I'm Art Taylor. Today is Giving Tuesday, and so this is our Giving Tuesday edition of the Heart of Giving podcast. Global day of generosity and giving that we've all come to love and appreciate and gear up for throughout the year. But I know that there are still some of you out there who have not made your Giving Tuesday plans. So don't worry about it. We got you covered on the Heart of Giving podcast today because with us is Asha Curran who is the CEO of Giving Tuesday, the global generosity movement. And Asha was formerly, as you probably know, the chief innovation officer and director of the Belfer Center for Innovation and Social Impact at 92Y, where Giving Tuesday was founded. So she's been with this thing since the beginning. And now this has expanded to a global movement And we have Asha with us today to talk about today and all of the great work going on at Giving Tuesday and what we can really expect and what we should maybe plan to expect in future years as this movement, as I call it, of giving and generosity expands, continues to expand around the globe. Asha, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast. Art, it's so nice to be here. I feel like we have an annual tradition now. Absolutely. The Giving Tuesday edition. Yep. Well, Asha, so I know I sort of feel a little bit like Santa Claus. Not me, not Santa Claus, but I feel like you're Santa Claus. (laughs) And (laughs) and so, you know, we get to this day, but, you know, it's like, okay, today is Giving Tuesday. But there's been a lot of work going on throughout the year that people probably don't understand or appreciate. So I want you to talk about that. What have you and your Giving Tuesday elves around the world been doing to inspire us to be generous and to give more, not only on Giving Tuesday, but throughout the year? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wish that I could claim the mantle of being the Santa figure, but I can't <laughs> because it's all the people who are doing all the giving. It's amazing. So it's, it's, it's really the elves that are in charge. The way that we look at the day itself is sort of the way you would think of a wedding anniversary or a birthday celebration or Valentine's Day, whatever, like that, that it's a big day of celebration of something that you're paying attention to all year. So we don't work toward the day all year. We do the work of Giving Tuesday all year. And then this is our day to celebrate in concert with the entire world. So it's an incredibly rewarding day. And we love watching good news come in, moving stories come in, incredible images from all over the world. It's just the most rewarding day you can imagine. But what we do all year is a bunch of different things. So we have leadership at this point in nearly 100 countries, which is incredible. And in wow. fact, this was our this was our biggest year yet for adding countries. We just got a, a big post-pandemic rush of countries wanting to join the movement and in really new areas for us as well, like Francophone Africa. Wow. And that's really exciting. So we spend a lot of the year really supporting those leaders. They're grassroots change makers, right, who are really trying to do good generosity work in their communities, really trying to build strong civil societies. And so we just think of every way that we can support them through convenings, information, facilitation, and really just providing the opportunity for them to learn from each other, because each one of them have, as you can imagine, different pockets of expertise. And so it's really a, a very interconnected peer learning community. And we work very hard to keep it that way. The other thing that we do is really try to focus on where nonprofits are at, where they're having good luck and where they're, they're not doing so well. And you know, Art, that we have some really troubling data in that area. Yeah. And so this year, even more than in previous years, we've really been focusing on what nonprofits can do, not just on Giving Tuesday, but all the time to have more luck with engagement, right? to, to really be drawing people toward their work as both financial supporters and supporters otherwise. In fact, that's one of the strategic recommendations we make is that give your supporters a range of ways to engage. If they can't give you money right now, that doesn't mean they never will be, right? But if they will be eventually and you've successfully engaged them, everybody will be in a much better position. So we're really watching and waiting to see what happens this year. You know, I never make predictions, but I'd be surprised if the big number on the day goes up again this year. I think the, the, yeah. the trends overall are just really, really concerning right now, really depressed. But even if it's a lower number, it'll still be a high number. It'll be a high number. Right? It'll still be an amazing infusion of general operating support into the nonprofit sector, as it always is, in addition to all of that, those amazing acts of kindness. So that's what we're doing all year. We're really managing communities, helping nonprofits, and running our Giving Tuesday data comments, which is really striving to understand the full generosity landscape in the most open source and transparent and collaborative way that we possibly can so that we're engaging all of the actors in the sector who are invested in, in social sector data as well. Well, you heard Asha mention some troubling data out there. And she and I are working along with a number of other nonprofit sector leaders on the challenge that we're seeing with people families in particular, giving to nonprofit organizations. And I've talked about this a number of times on the show. Over the last 20 years or so, we've seen a decline, a significant decline in the number of families that give to nonprofit organizations. And we're trying to make sense of that and try to figure out why 
this trend exists and what people are thinking and how we can reverse it. But we also, Asha, as you know, recognize and appreciate that generosity is not only shown by giving to institutions. You know, that's my preference. I would prefer that people give to institutions. I believe that long term, giving to an institution may be the best way for us to do, to achieve long term results. But generosity is not simply giving to an institution, it's giving to a family member who may be in trouble. It may be rounding up on your grocery bill and seeing to it that that money goes somewhere or or a host of other things that we can do to support communities that don't involve a nonprofit institution. Is that also something that you're trying to help us score and understand? Oh, absolutely. It's all connected, right? You can't disentangle generosity as a value when it's expressed as giving money to a 501c3 or an institution from when it's expressed as handing someone on the street a $5 bill or making a casserole for an elderly neighbor. It's the same value that drives all of that stuff, all of those actions. So I think what we're seeing right now is the pandemic threw a bit of a curveball into the sort of longevity of that data. You're absolutely right that there has been a long, long time decline that we were able to ignore as a sector, I think, for a while because the dollars were still growing. Yeah. And then they were sort of not growing, but not going down. Now we see that they are actually going down and we're seeing several different trends that really need to be paid attention to right now. So donor participation is down 10% year over year. That's a really significant amount. The pandemic was an anomaly. It showed a tremendous spike in giving, really volatile giving, right? Some organizations did incredibly well, some did really poorly. But if you take the pandemic out of it, you can see this sort of longer term trend that is a decline in participation. And I think as a sector, we were able to not worry about it too much. I don't want to say we ignored it because we didn't. There was plenty of conversation about it. But as long as those dollars stayed steady, I think we could shrug our shoulders and say, well, at least those funds are still going to the nonprofit sector. But what was happening during that time was a consolidation in terms of the number of people who are giving. It's fewer people, but they're wealthier and they're giving more. And some people might say, you know, so what, right? As long as the money gets given, who cares where it's coming from? Well, that's a really problematic way to look at it on both sides of the equation. In other words, from the nonprofit perspective, it's really important that nonprofits have a diversified base of support and that they really understand the value, the really significant value of what we, you know, in the sector call everyday donors or grassroots givers, regular citizens aren't like you and me. But there can be a real prioritization of high net worth givers. And the reasons are really understandable, but they're not healthy for long-term sustainability and, and resilience on the part of the, the nonprofit. So that's sort of the circumstance that we're looking at right now. And what's happening now, in fact, we began to see this in the data behind last year's Giving Tuesday numbers. So the numbers last year went up again, a huge number, $3.1 billion donated on the day. That, that's a remarkable sum of money, right? That's, that's more than almost every major U.S. foundation disperses in a full calendar year. That, that's remarkable. And we give people, right? We give them all the credit to, to people who are giving those small donations that add up to that collective amount. 
proving how, how, it, how big an impact those small gifts can have. But we're also seeing the decline in the dollars now. Last year, there was behind the big number, there was a lot of volatility. Some platforms did well, some did very poorly, where it used to be that you would see with Giving Tuesday, just that like all boats were lifted. There was really an across the board lift. As long as people participated, it was likely that they were going to see a bump. And for many, they were going to see a spike. So I think the moment that we're in is one of very, very fraught world circumstances exhaustion, just years of exhaustion and real fatigue with everything that has sort of been set upon us in the past four or five years, everything that's happening now. And then I think that there is a whole other conversation to have about what nonprofits can do better. And I think it's also something to be mentioned. So from the nonprofit side, that's problematic because of the diversified base of supporters. We really want nonprofits to have everything from everyday givers to ultra high net worth givers so that if one giver walks away, that nonprofit's not in an existential crisis. It's also a problem from the people side, because giving is an act of civic participation that's as important as voting. The cultures, communities, societies that give are healthier by almost every metric. And so we want our communities to be generous. We want our citizens to feel that they have the power and the agency to deploy their assets to make a difference in their communities and in the world they want to live in. That, that's a really important part of democracy is for citizens to have that power and exercise it. And so that's why we can't just throw up our hands and say, well, as long as the dollars are wavering around the same point, who cares where they're coming from? Very well said, Asha. I've been preaching this and it's nice to hear someone else in the choir give that sermon. <laughs> And now it's time for our Giving Tips segment with Bennett Weiner, one of the world's most renowned experts on charity accountability and the COO of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance. So one of the popular ways of raising money for charity is telemarketing. You may receive a call at home asking you to donate to a specific charity. If you do, it's okay to consider that gift, but don't give in to pressure to make an immediate donation to that organization. Take the time to check out the charity before you donate by going to the charity's website and also visiting give.org to see if the charity meets BBB charity standards. The other thing is that you have to be careful about look-alike charities. In other words, a charity may have a name that sounds like something you know, but is actually a different organization. So be careful about what organization is soliciting you. It may not be the one that you have in mind. And ask the charity for specifics as to how much of what's collected is actually going to go to the organization. And I say this because in some situations, if a charity is making cold calls to people who have not donated before, in some cases, up to 80% or more of the amount collected may go to pay for fundraising rather than the charity itself. So that may be a financial situation that you're not comfortable with. And the other thing I would say is, when you're getting a call at home, be cautious about giving any personal information to an unknown caller, such as credit card or checking account numbers or anything else that's personal, because in this day and age, you have to be careful about giving out that information. All the more reason to check out the organization before you make the gift and then give with confidence. I also wanted to just bounce off you this thought about this 
generational wealth transfer that we're expecting to see over the next uh, 20 years ago or so. I think between now and 2045, I think we're expected to see something like $4 trillion transferred from one generation to the next generation. And my concern is that what will they do with all of that money? <laughs> you know. And one of the great things about Giving Tuesday and what you're trying to create is a way for us to learn about giving and to value it and to treasure it and to contextualize it with everything else going on in our lives so that maybe this next generation that will be receiving this largesse of support will do more than buy the next boat or (laughs) or whatever it is that they would do with that money. And we're not just talking about billionaires. You know, we're talking about people who've done well in life, Mm -hmm. who now have something to leave behind to their families, making sure that they understand that there's value. And I would also argue a civic responsibility to give back is key to the success of our democracy going forward. But what say you? I couldn't agree more with that assessment. I think obviously the younger generation, I guess there's two generations below me at this point. The thing that makes me feel hopeful, they're, they're not a monolith, obviously. No community is a monolith. Yeah. And I think, you, yeah, yeah, sure. There are going to be a lot of new boats. <laughs> and hopefully we'll get back to a time where Americans can actually afford to buy a house, right? We're, we're facing a yeah. lot of crises in this country. And even people who make a decent living are not feeling like they're purchasing any security for their future. And that's really problematic. Different subject, though. What I see in the younger generations is a couple things that makes me feel very hopeful about that wealth transfer. They are very philanthropic. They're just philanthropic in a different way than their parents' generation. The other thing that makes me feel hopeful is that they really speak the language of movements and the language of collectivity because that's how they grew up, right? We came late to social media, right? But they have been raised with it. And if there is one thing that is working right now with, in, in the world of giving, it is collective giving. We see that in Giving Tuesday. We see it in proliferation of things like giving circles and mutual aid. And we see it in the way people pull together after a disaster time and time again, whether natural or unnatural, whether here in the States or across the world. Every single one of those examples is an example of people finding joy or meaning or healing in the feeling of giving with other people. Now, that's a real contradiction to the sort of very stereotypical image of maybe our parents' generation sitting and writing a check on December 31st, right, to the same nonprofit over and over and over again to get their tax write-off and feel like they did something altruistic at the end of the year. The younger generations don't approach giving like that. It's a full body sport for them, right? They want to feel the impact. They want to be involved. They want to be seen as more than ATMs. All of that is hopeful for the future because once they're in positions of owning that wealth and, uh, and in positions of leadership and power, we might see some really interesting things happen. You know, we might see you uh, talked about your allegiance to institutions and I sort of feel the same way, but I feel like movements are very powerful. And so are institutions. And with Giving Tuesday, what we've really tried to do is to, to, to merge the best of both. Yeah. 
you know, the movement dynamics are responsible for the scale and the sense of co-ownership and the structural dynamics are responsible for the longevity and the order, right? The, the sense of, of order that is, that is co-created 100%, but it is still a sense of order. Yeah. And so I, I, I think we might end up seeing more things like that, where instead of movements and, and institutions being pitted against each other, which is better, that becomes less of a question than how much can they learn from each other and invent new models. Yeah. So that's another thing that, that makes me feel hopeful about those younger generations sort of taking over the philanthropic world. Now, what's a less rosy vision, you know, that all the money ends up doored in daffs and or not given away at all, right? Like it just, just ends up being kept. But I believe in the fundamental generosity of, of people. I really do. I'm hopeful that that's going to be one of the things that turns the tide. So what do you think organizations can do differently? Now, I, I, I love that you are working to help us think how movements and institutions can work better together. Because I think activism alongside of institution building is sort of the best hope that we have because the activists sort of bring attention to the problems that we have in the world. And ultimately, a lot of activists have to be a part of some type of institution to see their vision realized. And so we need these institutions, but we need them to operate differently. We need them to operate well. We need them to be responsive and to focus on the true needs and not their own needs, right? So we want to fix these institutions and activists can bring that to our attention. But at the same time, what can these institutions do, in your opinion, to better align with activists and to bring them in, so to speak, if, if such a thing is possible, even advisable? Boy, that's a really complicated question. And I think it would be different with different movements. I think some movements structure themselves so that they will never be able to align with an institution. Got it. Yep. And in, in, uh, to give a very old example, Occupy was one of those. Yeah, sure. Right? It was a deliberately leaderless movement and started a really important conversation. That's, that's not a criticism of Occupy, but it did not lend itself to longevity, right? It, right. it, it burned really bright and then it burned out because leadership is important. It does fulfill a, a need. But we continue to think about inequality. We sure do. I mean, that sparked a conversation that is absolutely still happening and still burning as things right, as things get worse. Yeah. But so I think it really does depend on the dynamics of the movement, on what the movement is fighting for, whether it's the most extreme possible position or whether there's nuance right there, which I feel like is something that I, I sort of mourn lately, the lack of nuance in the discussion around a lot of critical social issues. But I do think that institutions can re-examine their own power dynamics. And that's the hardest thing to do. And it's a, there's yeah. a lot of talk right now in the world of philanthropy about that, isn't there, right? Yes, there is. A lot of talk, some action, which I totally give credit for. There really are. There is there. Like, look, we're, we're supported by multiple foundations. They got over an initial discomfort with our very unique model and our distributed leadership system and so forth, and really strange views on branding and marketing and things like that. And they support us. So I think that there is definitely at least the desire to re-examine some of the traditional ways of working inside institutions. I think the answer is slightly different when we come to the nonprofit side of things. Mm. Okay, go ahead. So there's your, there's your institutions in the sense of institutional foundations that are giving away the money. There's institutions in the sense of 
large nonprofits that I would describe as. This might be also just completely my own personal way of, in, of interpreting the word institution. No, no, go for it. But I wouldn't call the vast majority of nonprofits institutions. They're, they're okay. mostly small organizations. Now, 90-something yep. percent of American nonprofits have a budget of under a million dollars. Yep. The answer of what they can do is a little bit different, but also one I feel very comfortable discussing because I feel like I've spent 10 years watching what works and what doesn't work. Um, and one of the most common misconceptions about Giving Tuesday is that those big, huge budgeted nonprofits do really well because they can afford tons of marketing and advertising, et cetera, et cetera, leading up to the day. But the truth is small and mid-sized nonprofits do really well on Giving Tuesday. And for me, that's not surprising because much, much bigger organizations can be very top heavy and very bureaucratic, right? We've all, we've all worked in one. It takes, it takes a long time for an idea to get through a lot of approvals, processes, and a lot of committee meetings. And sometimes what comes the other end of the meat grinder just isn't that interesting, right? A smaller organization is much more agile. They can deploy a creative or fun, low lift, low resource idea for Giving Tuesday and have a really incredible ROI from it. Yeah. So we really encourage people to do that. That when, when we do a survey every year of participating nonprofits, we've never been under 80% to the question, does Giving Tuesday encourage you to try something new? Wow. And I think that's really, really important. I think another thing that nonprofits can do is a simple yet very, very difficult shift in mindset. We are so used to scarcity and the hunger cycle and viewing each other as competitors. And I think that has to stop, not only because it's nicer to work together, but it's so much more successful. So one of the things that we've seen happen more and more in the past few years is people coming together as coalitions for Giving Tuesday which means they put their organization to the back burner and their shared mission to the front. And so that might look like everything from Native Gives, which is a movement to drive more funding to Native-led organizations. It might look like Giving Gap, which is a similar movement to drive more funding to Black-led and Black-founded organizations. It might look like Giving Tuesday for domestic violence. I could go on and on, right? There's lots that are forming around either cause or culture or identity, and those are really successful. And the reason is we spoke about the how young people speak in movement language, right? How they really understand the collective action. They understand that like the, from a DNA standpoint almost, right? When organizations come together to form a powerful storytelling campaign around an issue rather than around their logo, those young people are going to respond to it better because they're, they're speaking a mutual language to each other. So one of the things I wanted to ask you, Asha, you know, we have our big day of giving in this country, which we call Giving Tuesday. But for some reason, we also need to get people thinking about giving throughout the year and, and rewarding that and celebrating that. And I love what you're doing on Giving Tuesday, but I also love what you're doing organizationally to try to make us think about this throughout the year. Talk about some of that. And then I want to conclude our interview with some thoughts from you on how we should behave on Giving Tuesday to make sure that we're taking advantage of the day and fulfilling our own desires and 
and needs really to make sure that the societies that we live in are moving in the direction we want them to go? Yeah, those are so such great questions. Giving Tuesday started very much emphatically as one day, right? No doubt about it. It was just a fun hashtag idea. We never knew that it would take off to the degree that it has. So at first it really was that one day a year. And it was like the era of not social media is ruining our democracy and our and our mental health, but the era of throwback Thursday and follow back Friday and cat videos and so forth. So it was a hashtag. And obviously the things that happened after that, the incredible interest from the global community, the luck that nonprofits managed to have with it monetarily on the day, the communities coming together, all of that has made it a year round body of work that is you know, has this ritual one day a year, there really is a drumbeat of activity all year round. Tactically, we do see a real possibility for a spike in giving in the spring. That does seem like a really ignored but fertile time of year for, for somebody, maybe us, maybe somebody else to do something with. We did have a spring era COVID edition Giving Tuesday that was incredibly successful. We stood it up in like six weeks or something, but we had a global community to mobilize and a lot of really passionate people who needed to express a lot of desire to help and heal and and ease their own anxiety and so forth. But the work of Giving Tuesday is really to grow cultures of giving that are so strong that giving is simply a muscle memory. That's, That's really our vision, that all over the world, generosity is simply the value that propels us through our days, not just Tuesdays not just Saturdays, not just Sundays, right? Every single day that it's just, we don't take time out of our month to think about love for an hour, right? Love is a value that that makes our gives our life meaning and joy every day. And generosity is no different. You know, for me, generosity is just the flip side of love as a, as a, as a value. It's love that you show the world, that you show strangers, that you show your community, not the love that you feel for your family and friends, but it's not a dissimilar value or emotion. And so I think the potential is just so strong, you know, the, the upside opportunity, as they say, to really harness some of the real generosity and passion that we see in so many areas to boost the nonprofit community, to get it back to its previous era of health and robust participation. And as I say, I feel equally passionately about the side of that that is about people as it is about civil society health. Well, what I would say to everyone is it's Giving Tuesday. And if you haven't made plans to contribute in some way, I offer you this opportunity today to do something that will make you feel good. Take a dollar, take $2, take $10, take whatever you have, take some change and just give it to someone. You know, help somebody in the checkout line or you know, go to a neighbor's house and drop off some food or, you know, go to your religious institution and contribute something. Give something to your favorite organization. And what I want you to observe is not what you think the recipient will benefit from. I want you to observe what you get from that. I guarantee you that you will feel good when you make that donation, you might struggle to actually do it. But once you do it, you will feel empowered. You will feel great. No matter what your circumstances, you will feel good. And by the way, studies have also shown, and I did a show on this, that the recipient of that gift 
will feel 10 times better than you think they will. That's right. Regardless of how much money you give. And they will be more likely to pass a gift on to someone else. So when we talk about the power of this day, it's really a day that if we all were to take just a little bit and give it away to someone, it could literally change the world because people would be more likely to give to other people when you've received something. So I'm just saying, Asha, you started us on this journey with Giving Tuesday, but it is more powerful than I think we realize because of the power of giving and what we receive when we actually give. Do it. Try it. Write me and tell me how you felt about it. Write Asha and let her know because there's, there's many ways to connect with Giving Tuesday and just let people know what your experience was. But I'm really tracking this year how the recipients feel in one hand, but I'm more interested in tracking how the donors feel when you make that gift. I don't care what amount it is. It could be a billion dollars. It could be one dollar. It could be 50 cents. Make that gift today and let me know how you feel. I'm certain that you will feel like you've done something really important because you have. The collective has an enormous power that we don't often recognize. And a little bit given by you adds up to a lot given by all of us and the power to actually make a difference in the communities that we care about and in the causes that matter so much to us. So Asha, that's my call to action. What's your call to action? Well, I love your call to action, Art, and the exponential nature of generosity truly is amazing. And when you do something small for someone else, think of that as not just a, a transaction, but as a starburst. You're starting a chain reaction of generosity that will affect people you've never even met. And that's really an amazing feeling. I, I would say also to, to nonprofits on this day, it's not too late to reach out to people to at least do some social media activity because this is a day that I hear some people described as too noisy to, to activate. The truth is people are looking for places to give on this day. Give them an opportunity to hear your story. Give them an opportunity to give to your organization or your cause. And donors who are acquired on this day are stickier than other donors and tend to give more throughout the rest of the calendar year. So don't sit it out. Tell your story. Try to have some luck. Amen to that. So, Asha, thank you for joining us on our what's becoming annual Giving Tuesday edition on the Heart of Giving podcast. And thank you for all you're doing. Oh, thank you so much, Art. That was so beautifully said. Well, to all of you who are listening to our show for the first time, I got to say that this is a weekly show. And I hope you will subscribe. It's easy to do. You can go to any major podcast platform and just click like. And you'll get all of the episodes that come out each week with really interesting and important people like Asha Curran. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do that also by going to give.org and making a gift. And we will put that money to great use. Thank you for listening and happy Giving Tuesday. Happy Giving Tuesday. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving, 
www.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.